Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. My guest today is Dr. Jeff Brandon. He is a professor of biblical studies and the chair of biblical studies and Christian ministries department at Bellhaven University. Uh, he and his wife and their children live in the Jackson, Mississippi area, and he's just recently released a great book called The Hope of Life After Death, A Biblical Theology of Resurrection. Uh, Dr. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. So thanks so much. Tell me a little bit about the backstory of the book. Out of all of the things that you felt compelled to write about, why did this jump to the top of mind for you? Yeah, that, thanks so much, Steve. That's a great question. The word that you used was, was interesting because I really was kind of compelled to write it. This was many, many years ago. When I first started seminary, I guess it was probably around 20 years ago, I had a seminary professor that said these words that, most Christians have a solid understanding or a good theology of a Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. You know, if you ask them, why did Jesus die on the cross or why did Jesus have to die on the cross? They could, uh, they could explain that. They could talk about that. These uh, very same Christians many times don't have um, kind of the same sort of uh, understanding or, or why is the resurrection important? And I sat there when he said that, and I was like, well, I couldn't really explain why Jesus' resurrection from the dead is important. Most people, uh, when they talk about Jesus' resurrection from the dead, they say that Jesus was raised from the dead, therefore he is Lord, and so you should listen to him. And so it's kind of like this apologetic type value. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't really think in my head, well, why was it important theologically, or what does this mean for my salvation? So that was one thing that happened. And another thing that happened is, if I'm being really, really honest, when I was growing up, I realized that I would, of course, want to go to heaven when I died. But my view of kind of eternal life was something like this, something like we'd be floating around uh, on the clouds, kind of playing harps forever. And I remember feeling very, very guilty because I was thinking to myself, well, this doesn't sound like a very good uh, eternal life. Um, Again, when I was starting to kind of think about some of these other things, kind of my Uh, how I thought about eternal life change, that there will be uh, a new creation, that just as Jesus is raised from the dead, so God will raise up um, all believers who are united to Christ by faith, and will actually reign uh, in the new heaven, the new earth, and the new creation, reign with Christ forever. And everything that's good about this life will have a greater fulfillment. Everything that's bad about this life will be done away with. These two concerns, really, a theology of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and um, what our eternal hope looks like, kind of eternal resurrection life in the new creation. These things kind of compelled me to look into this topic of resurrection more. I, I love to hear you say that, Jeff, because I, I had the same struggles when I was a kid. When somebody's trying to explain to me the, the idea of an, an eternity, I was like, oh, eternity, that sounds like a, a road trip that never ends. You know, it's mm-hmm. that just couldn't wrap my brain around it. And I love hearing you say why it's important for us to have a robust theology of the resurrection, because I think that when when our appreciation for the resurrection is, is either flat or one dimensional, it changes the way that we think about God. Uh, and and the choices that we make while we're on this earth and the picture of what life might look like on the next earth. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It does. It changes every, like you said, it changes this life and it changes the way we view the next, uh, the next life as well. So talk about some of the themes that kind of popped up in the book. When you think about like what God's ultimate ideal design for humanity and relationship with humanity looks like, 
where does that come from? And how do you kind of trace that arc throughout the course of the book? Good. Yeah, let me start. And I think this is really, really foundational for how we view resurrection, for how we view eternity. Um, And uh, what I wanted to do in this book and what this series wants to do is really ground everything in kind of Genesis 1 and 2, begin with creation and then move uh, through the fall and then move to redemption, to new creation, these sorts of things. And what you find in, in Genesis 1 and 2 this may sound, you know, obvious, you know, on the surface, and in many ways it is, but it's so significant that God created humanity for life, okay? He created humanity for life, and what I try to do is connect a few things with what this life should look like. So number one, God created us for life and relationship uh, with Him, and so this is really uh, a pretty incredible thing that God creates and he desires, he wants, he creates us to have a, a relationship with him. And that is to be a right relationship, a good relationship. And um, uh, before the fall, um, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed fellowship with God, perfect fellowship with God, um, unbroken fellowship. And it was something that they enjoyed uh, in the Garden of Eden. So God created us for a relationship with him. Um, another thing is God created us for life in his presence. So God gives Adam and Eve a wonderful place to live. He gives them a garden, a place of beauty and life, vitality. And then right before them, they, of course, have the tree of life. And at the same, uh, you know, of course, in the garden as well, they have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they have kind of this means by which they can receive eternal life. Okay, so uh, God created us for life in his presence. He wants not only does he want to have a relationship with us, he wants to dwell with us. That's a a pretty astounding uh, thing to think about as well. And then God creates us to reign over creation. And I think this is something that a lot of people miss uh, when reading the Bible. But if you look at kind of Genesis 1, 26 through the the end of the chapter, and then uh, look at Psalm 8, where it kind of reflects on these verses, it's pretty astounding. God creates us, uh, we could say, as his vice regents to reign underneath him as the great king, to reign over creation, to bring his reign to bear on the earth. And so I'm trying to take these themes of God creates us for life, and it's in a right relationship with him, it's life in his presence, and it's a life of actually reigning over the creation underneath his reign, and kind of tracing these themes through scripture. I don't know how far you want to go here, but of course, after the the fall, when Adam and Eve fall, you have these things that are broken and so forth, but you have the, the promise of redemption. And then looking at how these things unfold uh, from Genesis 3.15 on, when God first gives his promise of redemption that uh, the offspring of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent one day. Jeff, I love how in the book, because you do take like a full biblical theology of it, you're, so you're, you're tracing themes of, of life and redemption and kingdom reality and promises from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You have, have found and you're proven in the text that the whole idea of resurrection isn't on pause for the first two thirds of the Bible. There's arrows that are pointing to God's greater dream of redemption all, all the way from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. That's one of the things that that I really wanted to show and desired to show. Um, When you talk about a biblical theology, we're trying to trace, you know, like, as you mentioned, this theme from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. You know, many times people, Old Testament scholars or Bible scholars will say that the Old Testament has very little to say about resurrection and so forth. And most people will point to Daniel 12 and and then, you know, a few other debated passages Um, I really kind of wanted to ground this in God's creative work and who God created us to be. And then, as you mentioned, uh, after the fall, when God gives this 
first preaching of the gospel, we might say, or the first promise of redemption in Genesis 3.15, that all of God's plans, all of God's purposes for humanity uh, will be fulfilled. This means that humanity's relationship with God will be restored. Those who those who trust in God, humanity, that believers will one, once again dwell in God's presence, and that death will also be overcome through resurrection life. And find this uh, sort of thing kind of unsuspecting places and different places and so forth. But, um, you know, a few of the things we have, you know, in the midst of a genealogy early on in the book of Genesis, this person died, this person died, this person died, this person died, that sort of thing. And it's it's all highlighting the effects of sin, the effects of the fall. And then you have Enoch walked with God and God took him. Okay. And so it's this glimmer of hope that death will be overcome. You can look at God's uh, call for Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And many times people point to this as a picture of God, the father, who is willing to sacrifice his son on the cross, just as Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Well, I think it's also a picture for us of resurrection. And the book of Hebrews even tells us that um, uh, Abraham was so confident in God's promises um, that he believed that God could raise uh, Isaac from the dead. One of the things I like to trace is this, is when God calls Egypt, excuse me, calls Israel out of Egypt, Egypt being a place of death. Um, of course, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are attempting to, to kill the Israelites, and he brings them out of their slavery. He brings them out of death, and then he's bringing them into a land. And when you look at Deuteronomy, there, there are references um, over and over again about uh, describing this land as a place of life. So you find this movement, even in Israel's history, as death to life, which I think is, is a wonderful kind of prefigurement, foreshadowing of what God uh, does for us spiritually by bringing us from spiritual death to new spiritual life, and then uh, and then also ultimately from, from physical death to eternal resurrection life uh, when Jesus returns. A number of other things, those are a few of the things that I highlight at different points in the book. Jeff, what do you say to people who would say, you know what, I'm glad that you put all the work into it. I'm glad that you think at a high level theologically, where does the doctrine of the resurrection intersect with my daily life, with my daily struggle, with my seasonal pain? What do you say to the person who's asking those kinds of questions? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I mentioned this uh, in the book, is the book of Psalms. And Martin Luther referred to the book of Psalms as, as kind of like the little Bible because it has kind of all the major themes and so forth. Um, that we find in the Bible. But, you know, one of the reasons I love the Psalms, I mean, it's for a number of reasons, but they're, they're so real. And, um, you know, when you read the Psalms, you find people um, with, uh, with various struggles, with challenges, with temptations, with grief, with heartache, with persecution, with suffering, trial, tribulation. You have praise and worship and thanksgiving. You have all that, but they're just very, very real. Uh, they're very, very uh, true to life. Okay, and I think that the Psalms, we can uh, identify with the Psalms for that reason. And all the kind of things that we go through um, in life are kind of are kind of talked about in different ways. There's one of my favorites that I, that I talked about in this book is Psalm 49. And in Psalm 49, the psalmist is wrestling with something that we might wrestle with. Well, why are things so difficult and challenging for me? And I'm kind of looking over here um, at 
who the psalm describes as kind of foolish or the rich, and they have no troubles, they're carefree, they have no problems, these sorts of things. And he's wrestling with this, like, where is God in the midst of this? And, and what the book of Psalms tells us is, number one, God can rescue us um, from our troubles. He can deliver us. He can deliver us from death. And many times you see that. You see that like in Psalm 40. You see it in Psalm 22 um, with David and so forth. You find this lots of times where God enters in, rescues and delivers his people. But then what you also begin to see kind of peeking through the Psalms is this, the same God who can rescue um, his people from, uh, from death is the one who can rescue them and deliver them after death. And in Psalm 49, what you find is this, is this hope. And I've got uh, from Psalm 49, 15, I'll read this one verse, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Our ultimate hope as Christians and the ultimate hope that scripture gives is not that God's going to deliver us from everything in this life. Sometimes God does, sometimes he doesn't. We all go through trials, we all go through difficulties, we all go through tribulations, but our ultimate hope is the same hope that the psalmist had, is that the God who can rescue us from their trials and difficulties will ultimately rescue his people and redeem them from death forever. This is the hope that the Bible holds out, the ultimate and final hope for us. This is a hope that we find in the book of Psalms. Another psalm that I love, Psalm uh, 103, is a psalm of worship, and it speaks uh, about this, that the God who heals all of your diseases, who forgives all of your sins and so forth. And uh, sometimes we kind of wrestle with that and struggle with that. We do know that um, in this life, not every disease is healed, but Every disease will be healed. Every effect of sin will be done away with and overturned in the new creation. So you find even the fulfillment of these sorts of hopes as we kind of see the Bible uh, unfold and how it describes new creation and new resurrection life and so forth. So I think this doctrine, um, like you said, even though it's uh, we could talk about in a theological sense, it is so important to us devotionally. It's so important uh, for us in our spiritual life. It's one of these things that our future kind of shapes our present. Our future shapes mm -hmm. our present. I was thinking this morning, even as I've been working through your book about how, you know, David talks about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And and there are points where we we can feel the shadow of death pretty, pretty strongly, uh, either literally or figuratively or spiritually. And as I was reading your book, I was like, man, what, what might it look like for us to walk through life as if we were living in the shadow of the resurrection as well? Kind of like a glass half full, glass half empty type, type of view, because we do live in the shadow of the resurrection. The resurrection hasn't been fully realized for all of us, but, but we know that it's coming. So we see resurrection glimpses at some point along the way, do we? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I mean, it's, it's not highlighting death per se, but it describes, I think, uh, in a very accurate way, kind of what you are describing right here, and it's it's Revelation 1-9, and John um, says this, he talks about being a participant in both the suffering and kingdom, okay? Mm. And that's how he describes kind of this present age. For those who trust in Christ, for those who are believers, we've already come to be to, to reign with Christ. Ephesians 2.6 highlights this, that believers have been uh, raised up, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. It's a picture of spiritual resurrection. It's a picture of reigning with Christ. 
But yet, during this time, we also experience trial, tribulation, and suffering. And so, yeah, it's like we have both of these things um, at work. Let me actually point to this. Uh, this is a verse that I wanted to, to highlight when we talk today that really kind of highlights as well this experience that this life is not all that God created it originally to be, that we experience the effects of sin and the fall and death, but yet God is at work. He's raised us up spiritually already. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1-3, and we have the hope of eternal resurrection life. But in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul writes this, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, and that's kind of this death thing, being under the effects of sin and the fall and death, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And that's that's speaking to God's present work in our lives now for our light and momentary troubles. Okay, so the troubles we go through, they are momentary, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think Paul's highlighting exactly what you said there. I think he's highlighting that, look, outwardly we're wasting away. We're experiencing the effects of the fall. We're experiencing the effects of sin and death. But God is renewing us, and we're, we're keeping our eyes fixed, not on something that we can see, but on something that's unseen. Um, ultimately, our eternal hope that we have when Jesus returns of new, glorified, resurrected, bodies living with Christ in perfect relationship, reigning with Christ in the new creation forever. Not too long ago, I was at a conference and one of the speakers was talking about just the challenges that people have at different stages of their spiritual journey. And, and he talked about temptations or worries that people have in their thirties and forties and fifties. And I forgot what, what most of them were, but I did say that when people get towards the end of life, people get in their seventies and eighties, kind of the key question that they're wrestling with is, is the resurrection real? Yeah, uh, I think that as people approach the end of life, the, the stakes for their understanding of an appreciation for the resurrection get higher. Talk, talk about why, why, as we approach the end of life, a, a right understanding of the resurrection matters all, all that much more. I think, you know, whenever you have, I suppose, the reality of, of death being closer, it's going to... Um, kind of bring that into focus, bring that into sharper focus. You know, as you mentioned, I think this is very true that, you know, uh, as we get older in life, we begin to think about that. But then there are other times where God will kind of uh, shake us, whether it might be mm. the death of a friend, the death of a loved one, a difficult event, life not going as we had planned, these sorts of things. You know, if, if we kind of, if we're kind of living like a Disney life or everything's going just as we think it should, that sort of thing, we don't see much of a need maybe for what this eternal resurrection life is, but we're all going to experience in all kinds of different ways, although not everyone's experience is the same, sin, the effects of sin, and the effects of the fall. Of course, these are terrible things, but the good thing about it is, is you know, is to kind of shake us to the fact that there can, that there is something more. There's something of monumental, of first importance, and that's this, that God created us for a relationship with him. He created us for life in his presence. He created us to reign with him. And this hope of eternal resurrection life, kind of piggybacking more a little bit on this question um, that you talked about, one of the, the passages uh, that I talk about actually in, in the conclusion of my book, which I think is really, really an astounding passage, is Philippians 3, 
7 through 14. And I think it's kind of highlighting what you mentioned, just how important the doctrine of this resurrection is. And so Paul has been contemplating kind of his past and Judaism and so forth, and in the past when he persecuted Christ and so forth, and he is um, contemplating as well that he was uh, living up to, um, in some to some degree or another, these Jewish standards and so forth. But he says, "But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Mm-hmm. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him." not having a righteousness of my own that comes to law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And then he goes from there, and I think perhaps a lot of people uh, miss this, as he talks about the importance of the resurrection, sharing in Christ's sufferings mm-hmm. so that I may share in his resurrection. And then he talks about forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, as God calls me heavenward in Christ Jesus and so forth. This is so significant is that I think that Paul even views like the ultimate purpose, our ultimate goal is going to be connected with resurrection. And one of the things I want to highlight in this book is that God's plan of salvation for us is not complete without eternal resurrection life in the new creation, without reigning with him, without life in his presence. That, of course, um, forgiveness of sins, justification, redemption, these are so, so important. But God's plan of salvation and redemption is not complete until this resurrection happens, until Jesus returns and Jesus brings heaven to earth. Heaven and earth are one and we reign uh, with Christ forever um, in the new creation, our glorified resurrected bodies. So I think it's on Paul's mind. I think, like you said, as we get older and as we experience other difficulties in life, this becomes this comes into clearer focus. And I think it's just so important for us, again, to think about these sorts of things, that what we see is, um, is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but God is renewing us, and uh, there's an eternal glory that, that outweighs uh, everything, all, all the good and, and all the bad of this life as well. I love that you mentioned Paul, and you also mentioned in the book the verse that says we don't we don't mourn as those who have no hope. And I and you and there's two ways that we can use the resurrection. One is the backdrop against which we see all things, and the other is the lens through which we view all things. Yeah. But I love that line, and I love how you broke it down because it, it doesn't say that because of the resurrection we we skip mourning. That's right. It says because of the resurrection we mourn differently. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That uh, passage in First Thessalonians four, and um. You know, speaking into this, it it really is astounding. You know, you have um, in John 11, you have before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he mourns, he grieves. Mm. You know, the the verse that we're familiar with being the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Uh, I also highlight that um, uh, in this same episode, there's this um, kind of connotation of Jesus being angry at death. So Jesus, the, the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, the one who knows that he will be raised from the dead, he recognizes and mourns the loss of his friend, the effects of sin, and he weeps and he's angry at death. And this is this is exactly what we go through. We mourn and we grieve, but Paul highlights, as you mentioned, that we don't mourn and grieve as the rest of the world. Ultimately, because we believe this is the same hope that the psalmist had. It's the hope that begins to unfold with Genesis 3. It's the hope that we see in Revelation 21 and 22 and 1 Corinthians 15. The same God 
who uh, gives forgiveness of sins, who can save us from trials and so forth is the same. The same God is the one who will rescue us and save us eternally uh, with resurrection life. Jeff, I love that you brought up uh, John chapter 11 and the Lazarus stories because it's one of my favorites. And I, I love the fact that Martha says to Jesus, she goes, hey, I, I know that you'll raise him up again on the last day. Like yeah. there's a few there's a future resurrection and I'll yeah. just kind of bide my time until that comes. And and I love that Jesus tries to pull her understanding of the resurrection from the future into the present because yeah. he's like that. That's not untrue. But the resurrection power in life is is available now and we might not see it in all of its fulfillment. But it doesn't it doesn't mean that the resurrection power and resurrection promise is that we have to wait to die in order to experience that, which is why I love that he just asks her point blank. He goes, I'm the resurrection of the life. Do you believe this? And yeah. one of the things I love about your book is it is it prompts me to ask the same question. Um, do, do I believe it? Do I believe that Jesus is the resurrection of the life? Do I yeah. believe that that promise has bearing on the decisions and the fears and the prayers that I'm praying today? Because if it does, I, I can hold all of that that differently not not without any fear but fear that's that's laced with with hope and undergirded with promise that's great i i really appreciate that and as you mentioned i like to call one of the things that I, I talk about is these miracles that jesus gives as previews of of what's to come you know when jesus mm. raises lazarus from the dead of course lazarus uh, does die again but it's a preview of an eternal resurrection life to come and then as you mentioned for christians resurrection life, not our final glorified bodily resurrection, but new spiritual life has already begun. And, you know, the way Jesus speaks about it earlier, the way the gospel of John speaks about it earlier in John 5 is this, for those who believe in Jesus, they have already crossed over from death to eternal mm -hmm. life, that realized aspect. And this is the reason I think, you know, it's something that I mentioned earlier that, that we can say that that we already reign with Christ, even though in many ways we don't, because we're going to experience suffering and trial and, and tribulation and so forth. But eternal life has already begun. It's in the present because Jesus in his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the dead has conquered sin and death. Jeff, thank you so much. Again, the book is called The Hope of Life After Death, A Biblical Theology of Resurrection. Author is Jeff Brannon, published by University Press. You can pick it up wherever you find great books. And it's my hope that as you pick it up and, and digest it and spend time wrestling with the principles in it, that you would be encouraged uh, to live your life through the lens of, of the resurrection, not just what it means in the future, but what it can mean for you today. Jeff, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. It's wonderful. Thanks so much for, for having me, Steve. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.